I can't believe uh, all the great gifts I received at Christmas. I think some of the best gifts have been just being here and worshiping the Lord with the great music program that we've got. Uh, you know, it could, be, it could be three people or a choir of 60 or a Broadway musical type of thing, and they find different ways to touch our hearts every week. Let's give them a hand. So here we are between Christmas and New Year, and uh, some of you got some really amazing gifts. I know there's a couple sitting right in the front row, this beautiful little girl, and uh, boy, what a gift. Uh, What a gift, and certainly the best gift was uh, Jesus coming back into our lives in a new conscious way. Got a question for you, though, as we're heading into 2008. Is anybody going to be making any New Year's resolutions? Can I see hands? All right, there's a few of you out there. How many of you not even thought about making resolutions yet? Going, "Uh uh-oh, I better do that. Uh, How many of you don't raise your hand for anything? Ah, okay, I got a witness. (laughs) Great. Well, uh, if you're making New Year's resolutions like most people, you're thinking about, I got to get in shape, maybe I got to lose weight. I'm going to change jobs, uh, grow the business, clean out the garage. Some very valuable resolutions in there, I'm sure. Well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is God wants you to make plans. The bad news is they're probably not going to work out anyway. Got a letter here from somebody whose plans didn't work out so well. It's to the Republic Life Insurance or Republic Health Insurance Company. It says, Dear Sir, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information. In block number three of the accident reporting form, I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You said in your letter that I should explain more fully, and I trust the following details will be sufficient. I am a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building, and when I completed my work, I discovered I had about 500 pounds of bricks left over, decided that rather than carrying them down by hand, I would lower them in a barrel using a pulley that was attached conveniently at the sixth floor. Securing the rope tightly at the ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, loaded the bricks into it. When I went back down to the ground, I untied the rope, holding it tightly to make sure of the slow descent of the 500 pounds of bricks. You will note in block number 11 of the accident reporting form that my weight is 185 pounds. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rather rapid rate up the side of the building. And in the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding in a downward direction at an equally impressive rate. This explains the fractured skull, minor abrasions, the broken collarbone as listed in section three of the accident reporting form. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were three knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and held tightly to the rope, in spite of the excruciating pain I was now beginning to experience. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground, and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now, devoid of the weight of bricks, the barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight in 
section 11. As you might imagine, I began a rather rapid ascent down the side of the building, descent down the side of the building, and in the vicinity of the third floor, met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and severe lacerations of my lower leg and body. Here, my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me just enough so that it lessened my injuries when I hit the pile of bricks. Only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the pile of bricks, in incredible pain, unable to move, and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my presence of mind. I let go of the rope. Have you ever had a day like that? <clears throat> Maybe a year like that? <laughs> Maybe even a decade like that? When I was a kid, probably eight or nine years old, my parents gave me a dartboard for my birthday in June. We stuck it up on the cinder block wall in the basement, and I was down there one morning. I'm an only child. That explains my weird behavior to a lot of you. And entertained myself uh, for hours on end. So I'm down there throwing darts at the dartboard. Mom hollers down the stairs. Jim, it's a beautiful day down there. You ought to get outside. Which is mom talk for get out of the house, will you? Well, I thought to myself, I've got to make a plan because I want to keep throwing these darts and I've got to hit that bullseye sooner or later. So I took a hammer and a nail and I started by going out into the backyard and hung the dartboard on an apple tree. Which was fine as long as you hit the dartboard, but if you miss the dartboard, those darts are going way down the hill. And it was a bit of effort. I've always been into conservation of effort and being efficient as I possibly could. So I decided I needed something with a broader backstop. So I pulled the nail, walked around the house, and stuck the dartboard up on the post between the garage doors. How do you like my form? And you guessed it, plink, and this beautiful spiderweb pattern in the garage door window. Now, it wasn't a loud noise. There was no shattering of glass, nothing falling to the ground. I thought to myself, okay, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I've got to make a plan. What am I going to do? Mom's going to be going out running errands to the grocery store later on. She'll see that. Dad's coming home at 6.30. What am I going to do? Better fess up. So I walked into my house and found Mom in the kitchen and told her what had happened. And she got this rather unpleasant look on her face. And she uttered the words every boy just hates to hear, wait till your father gets home. Now, it wasn't that my dad was an angry sort of person. He was not. He was very gentle and loving. But I had seen wait till your father gets home on TV. I don't know how many times. And it was never pleasant when father get home. I had seven hours of fear. Until Dad pulled into the driveway about 6.30, I was hiding out in the back of the house. Dad walked in, and he smiled at me. And he said, so, what are we going to do about that window? 
I was confused. I thought, he's supposed to be angry with me. Now, he did make me pay the consequences. He took out of my allowance for the next few weeks enough money to pay for the glass. And he and I together uh, put the glass back into its frame in the garage door. But he wasn't angry. All he said was, and this left a lasting impression, think about the possibilities. Consider the consequences before you act. And I thought, wow, I've got to have better plans than these. <laughs> Jesus said something like that. Context of these next two scriptures out of Luke chapter 14 have to do with the cost of being a disciple, that we should anticipate that discipleship is going to be a costly venture. We should weigh the costs and what our price is going to be that we're going to have to pay before we lightly decide to follow Christ. Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Ha! What an idiot! Or, on the heels of that saying, Jesus says another illustration. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able to, with 10,000 men, oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation for terms of peace. While the enemy is still a long way off. We're going to be talking in 2008 as a congregation about the concept of discipleship. What does it mean? What does it cost? I got bad news and good news. The bad news is it's going to cost everything. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your energy, all your resources, everything is the price of the kingdom of God, is the price of discipleship. However, once you've given all that up, all the resources and blessings of the Lord become yours as well. So should we plan and prepare and consider the contingencies? Yeah, absolutely. We would not be made human in the image of God if we were not also creative. Go back to Genesis. If you look at the first chapters of the Bible, the very thing that God is and creates into us as we are created in His image is God is creative. He speaks and things come into existence. And we, by our plans, are also able to, on a smaller scale, speak things, plan things, develop things into existence. Some of you have built businesses. Others have built families. You've got plans for your child. Oh, they're going to grow up. They're going to be perfect. They're going to go to this wonderful college. They're going to have an incredible career, a blessed marriage. It's going to be peachy keen. Those are the kind of plans we make. It doesn't always work that way. Nonetheless, it's good to have those plans in place. But what about Murphy? You know, Murphy, if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. And I've even developed a couple of Murphy corollaries over the years. I play racquetball every Friday up in Westminster, and my Murphy locker room corollary goes like this. If there are only two people in the locker room, you will have adjacent lockers. 
never seems to fail. Now, I've got a plan around that. When I go to the desk to get my locker key, I say, can I have one on the end? And I've memorized the numbers of the lockers on the ends of the row, which cuts my odds in half of having somebody next to me. That's probably a guy thing more than a girl thing, right? My other Murphy corollary is, if there is a wrong way to install the software, I'll find it. And I start worrying about this stuff long before the locker room happens and long before the software is even ordered. I start getting this, like, tension. But Jesus says, don't worry. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry about your life. He goes on to talk about what you shall eat, what you shall wear. Don't worry about your software. Don't worry about the locker in the locker room. Maybe that person's next to you to bump into you for a reason. Don't worry. And he wraps it up with, here's why not to worry. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will take care of themselves. Don't worry. Plan, but don't worry. Just make sure you are planning carefully in line with God's plans. Because if you don't, here's the warning from Isaiah 30. Woe to the obstinate children. Have you ever been an obstinate child? I certainly wasn't. I'm an only child. I'm perfect. Woe to the obstinate children, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not of my spirit, heaping sin upon sin. See, I think we're made to make plans. But we can make plans that are evil and we can make plans that are good. We can make plans that are away from the way God designed us and intends for us and things that are in line with God's plans for us. But when we give God first place, we see life from this ultimate, universal, and eternal perspective. So, hey, if our plans don't work out, no big deal. It's all right. God is in charge and we belong to God and everything ultimately will work out, either in this life or in the eternity of heaven. So plan well. Proverbs says, The plan of the diligent, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as sure as haste leads to poverty. If you're going to make plans, be responsible about it. Think it through. Think of the contingencies and the possibilities. Just like my dad told me. Just like Jesus tells us. Now, there are some ways to improve the odds for the success of your plans. Because if we plan away from the way God wants us to plan things, things fall apart in a hurry. But here's some ways to improve the odds. We've got to be in line with our design. We've got to be earnestly seeking God's will and to be obedient to Christ. Seeking out the Spirit. Proverbs 16 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Four points here in improving our odds. A, be who God made you to be. Creative. He made us able to plan. I don't think God just woke up one morning and said, gee, let's create the universe. Sploosh, there it is. 
I think God had a plan and a design in it. Certainly God gave some thought. It may have been instantaneous given God's abilities. But God gave some thought to how he's going to map this out. Creation unfolds in Genesis with a specific order. So commit to the Lord what you will do and live in God's image. Plan. Create. Be generous. Be loving. When we do these things, we are highly, highly likely to be in line with the way we were designed. Second, know what God's Word says. All of it. I'm terrible at this. I've been to seminary, read through the Bible multiple times, uh, but i got to tell you, when I'm in the presence of Todd or Dave or George, I'm learning like, holy cow, they have memorized a whole lot of stuff. Which is beautiful. It's on their lips continually. But the Bible is a rich resource for our planning. It instructs us how to live, how to plan, how to seek God first. Psalm 33, verse 11 I'd like for you to stand up and read this with me. Powerful words from the psalmist here. Let's read this. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Say that again. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. One more time. But the plans of the Lord stand forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. There is a permanency. Not a possibility, not a probability, but an inevitability behind those words. But in Proverbs 14, I'll read the first line. You read the second line back. Do not those who plot evil go astray? But those who plan what is good find love and faithfulness. Do you want to find love and faithfulness in 2008? Plan what is good. Do not plan what is evil. Plan in line with the design. Have a seat. Thank you. Now, of course, God's Word has a lot to say about all the specifics of our behavior. We've got the Ten Commandments, we've got the Beatitudes, we've got all the teachings of the prophets and the law, and Jesus, a rich resource. Point number three, to improve your odds of succeeding in your planning. Seek the Spirit's guidance and gifts. The Greek word for the Holy Spirit that Jesus uses in John is parakletos, the paraclete was an advocate who stood alongside the convicted or the, the accused as they were about to be sentenced by the judge. They were not there like an attorney. I'll spare Todd the attorney jokes this morning. But they're there as a presence, a witness, an encourager. That's the Spirit's role, in part. But the Spirit also in the New Testament gives us many gifts. There are gifts of healing. There are gifts of helping. Gifts of teaching, administration, tongues, generosity, prophecy, leadership. My friends, if God has given you a gift, do you suppose He wants you to use it? How does it feel when you give your child a gift on Christmas and they open it up and you're so excited about this gift? It's the magic whizbo new toy thing out. 
And ten minutes later, the kid's playing with the tinsel on the tree. Hurts, doesn't it? You want a gift that you give to be used and appreciated, and so does God. So if God is giving you a gift, that's a good clue about what God's plans are for you. To be using that in some way at your work, in your family, in the church. Fourth point. Obey Christ. Most of us are really good at claiming Christ as Savior. And we claim this personal relationship with the Lord. Oh, it feels so good. I got my Lord. He's got me. It's just me and my buddy. Way too narrow. Way too narrow. We're going to talk more about following Him in the coming year as disciples and what that really means. But it comes down to the Lord issue. We throw out this phrase, Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. We're really good at the Savior part. I don't think I am, or probably most of us are, real good at the Lord part when it comes right down to it. Fess up. We're really good at saying Jesus is Lord in an hour or so on Sunday morning. And as the week wears on, it becomes more and more difficult to remember who's really in charge. Especially when we get bombarded with all the demands of work or family. We get distracted, we forget who's Lord, and we think, we're really the Lord. I'll give God an hour or so of Lordship on Sunday, but mm, the rest of the time, I like being in charge. If we're going to be really serious about improving our planning and ensuring a better chance of our success, I'm not talking about material success or anything other than success as a great human being created in God's image, then we've got to obey Christ. We've got to put Him in first place in our lives. Well, there's some more good news. God's plans ultimately succeed. And God wants you to be involved in those plans. God could realistically accomplish anything God wanted to accomplish with or without you or me. But God doesn't want to. God wants us to be involved in implementing the plans. God plants a seed of an idea, a dream in our brains. It's just up to us to fan that into flame and nurture it and create with it. Let's return to Bethlehem for a few minutes. And take a look at Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus and how God's plans are working out or could have worked out for them. you got Joseph and Mary. They've been following the plans of angels. Not easy. Not easy to receive a word that you're going to be pregnant by some mysterious power and have to explain that to your fiancé and family and community. Not easy to be Joseph and follow the directions of an angel and come up against the whisperings and criticisms of a community and take her as your own. But here they are, following the direction of angels. They're in Bethlehem. They're hanging out about a week after Jesus is born, wondering, well, what do we do now? No angels. 
What do you do when you have no sign? Well, they went back to God's word. They went back to Leviticus 12 and their upbringing, their culture. And Leviticus 12 says, after seven days, you go to the temple, you do circumcision, you name the child, you dedicate your firstborn to the Lord, and you give an offering. An expensive one if you can afford it, if not two doves, which was the offering of Mary and Joseph for poor people. As it were, to redeem back the child you gave to the Lord and take him and raise him, even though he is dedicated to the Lord, the offering takes the place. So they go to the temple. They present Jesus there. While they're there, just following what they know to do, no supernatural stuff here, two amazing things happen. A guy named Simeon comes up to them. Simeon is an old man, wise and faithful. And he's been long anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And he recognizes who this baby is. And gives a blessing to the baby and to Mary and Joseph in the presence of all those who are around him in the temple. And then Anna the prophetess, same thing. An old woman, probably 85 years old, giving the blessing and confirmation. Had Mary and Joseph not been following God's word and not been following the directions that they knew to follow, they would not have received that confirmation. I don't know about you, but even if I have a very powerful spiritual experience and I know the direction I'm heading in, about a week later I'm going in. Am I going in the right direction? I need some encouragement. Follow the directions. As we're in line with that design, all sorts of blessings are enabled. And then, an angel shows up again, warning Joseph to flee to Egypt to escape Herod's infanticide. Imagine, however, that Mary and Joseph decide they're not moving. They get the word from Gabriel escape! Run for your lives! And they're just sitting there. They're not packing. They're not getting the donkey ready. They're doing nothing. Why? God and Gabriel have a conversation up in heaven. Gabe, didn't you tell them to get out of there? Yes, Lord. Gabe, what's wrong with them? I think they're becoming angel dependent. <laughs> angel dependent? What's that? Well, Lord, I think they're waiting for me to program their GPS. Can you imagine that conversation? And yet some of us keep waiting for these big signs, big miracles, angels to show up to guide us and tell us what to do. No, if you've got a marching order, just do that to the best of your ability. Plan it out. Plan it as you go. On the wing if you need to. Praying every bit of the way. But get moving. I used to have a 19, my first car, 1963 Mercury Comet. And I found out really quickly, because I uh, also at the same time in life was able to drive the Cougar 
and my dad's Lincoln occasionally. And they had power steering. The Comet did not. And if you've ever driven, most of you are probably too young to have driven a car without power steering. But without power steering, it's like, when the car is stopped, you've got to get it moving in order to direct it. Sometimes it's the same with us and God. God says, get moving. I'll steer you along the way. But we're going, no, I'm waiting for the GPS directions to kick in. Should I turn left or right out of the church parking lot this morning? And God's going, you know how to go home. Get a clue. Santa gave Becky a GPS for Christmas. Actually, it was intended for me. It got mislabeled somehow. And we were driving to Colorado Springs yesterday for a party. A place that we go probably a couple of times a month over the last 18 months. We know how to get there. But we're watching the GPS and listening to it. It's really, Becky named it Maggie. It's a Magellan. And so Maggie is telling us all these places to turn, and we're going, yeah, I knew that. But isn't it cool that it can tell us? And I'm wondering, what's going to happen after using that for a period of time? Are we going to become GPS dependent? Are we going to lose our God-given ability to make plans on our own? Choose our own routes? So if you see us driving around in circles this coming year, that's what happened. We got GPS dependence. Can't think for ourselves anymore. And I believe, folks, that is the danger we face if we become angel dependent. All we got to do is follow the directions, dig out the road map, which is God's Word. Listen for the still small voice of God's Spirit instead of the still small voice of Maggie. Let's not give God grief in 2008. Demanding signs and wonders. They're all around us anyway if we would really be paying attention. Take responsibility. Make plans. Take action. He's given us plenty of direction already. So as we plan for 2008, I want us, I want me, to start with God. Make the spiritual plans first. When Jesus gives us direction about prayer, it's really about how you're going to plan and orchestrate your life. This is how you should pray, he says in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is your kingdom. You're the Lord. I'm the servant. I'm going to do your will on earth just like I believe and know it will be done in heaven. In the book of James, some more guidance on the same lines. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Hmm. That sounds a lot like my plans. I'm in the business of coaching people and helping them dream dreams and lay plans to achieve dreams. 
So we have plans like that. We're going to go here, do this, do that. Have a business. Make money. Clean out the garage. James says, why you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. If it is the Lord's will. Flash to Jesus praying in Gethsemane, Father, if it be possible, that this cup pass from me. Oh, nevertheless, thy will be done, not mine. Every time we plan, every time we pray, that phrase might be a part of your prayers in 2008. Now, some of us this morning are in the desert. No apparent direction from God. Longing for that angelic vision or sign. Moses and the Israelites out wandering in the desert for 40 years. Living on manna from heaven. Living on water stewing from rock. Struggling to have faith. And some of them have never seen anything unusual. They were born in the wilderness. They grew up in the wilderness. Manna and water out of rocks is just normal everyday stuff. It's taken for granted. No signs or wonders there. And yet, they're grumbling people. Just like we grumble sometimes. But still, are we not in the desert still part of God's plan? Aren't things still being worked out? Isn't the desert a useful place to be from time to time? Sometimes for long times. Some here this morning have experienced the death of a loved one. Some of you are going through a divorce and you're out in the wilderness. You're in exile. You've been kicked out of your house. Some might be homeless. Some might be losing a job or have just lost one. Others have been living under the curse of a terminal illness. Welcome to the club. We're all terminally ill. It's a hard place to be. What's the use of planning anything? Why bother? Life slurps. We're going to institutionalize that term. That's at least three weeks in a row. Well, good news. God has a plan for you. In fact, in the rotten times of life, you might be just right in the middle of God's plan. You might not be able to see it. It may be outside the perception of your walled-in grief or stress, but the plan is there. Israel experienced that. Jeremiah chapter 29 the Israelites have been carried off by the Babylonians into exile. In verse 4, it begins with saying that it's the Lord that carried them into exile. When Jeremiah speaks this word, the people are going, Huh? Sure looked like Babylonians to me. I didn't see the Lord's hand in that. Did you see the Lord's hand in that? No, I didn't see the Lord's hand in that. 
Jeremiah is speaking some refreshing, if bizarre news, that God was in that activity. God was carrying them into exile. There's a purpose in this time. And God says through Jeremiah, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat from the gardens, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters and give them in marriage. So they too will have sons and daughters. Increase in number there in Babylon. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Work toward their prosperity, Lord? That's a heavy burden. We don't even feel connected to you. Their, their association of being in exile, anything away from Jerusalem was they're disconnected from God too. And here's Jeremiah, God's messenger, in the context of that going, yeah, but there's a plan here. And in verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise and bring you back to, it says, this place, meaning the place, meaning homeland, Judah, Jerusalem, temple. I will bring you back. But it's 70 years out, folks. And in this verse that so many of us have committed to memory, and I would recommend it, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Sometimes in the desert, in a time of exile, God's plans are operating. Maybe your New Year's resolution for 2008 could be something like this. I'm going to be the gift I give to God this year. All of me. Heart, mind, soul, energy, time, resources. I'm giving it all up. That's the true call to discipleship. Put God first. Hold God tightly. Cling to His Word. Seek His Spirit. Obey the Lord. Live in line with your design. Hold God tightly. Make your plans. But hold them lightly. If it is God's will. And watch how God plans and your plans come to fruition. Let's pray. Maybe this is your prayer. It's mine. Lord, I seek you with all my heart. Send an angel to direct me. Reveal your will as I read your word. Give me your Holy Spirit with the gifts you would have me use. I am subject to the Lordship of Christ. Here's my plans, Lord. If it is your will, use them or change them. Use me or change me to further your plans of salvation for our world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Hey, this morning, if you're in one of those desert exile places and you need somebody to pray with you,
If you need to rededicate or maybe dedicate your life for the first time to the Lord, there's a prayer team that's going to be here right front and center to pray with you for whatever need you might have. God bless you. Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2008.